I don't know if you heard it before the service started, but uh, I had asked the guys back here to play Michael Jackson's 1983 hit, Beat It, and they were jamming on it earlier. Did y'all hear it earlier? Yeah. Oh, y'all gonna make me sing now. <laughs> this song, do you know anything about this song? It was written uh, as an address. They want, uh, Michael, Michael wanted to address the cycle of violence that was being experienced in inner city Los Angeles through the, the gangs that were perpetuating this cycle of violence. And young men, as he expresses in the song, wanted to find acceptance. And so they got involved in these uh, gangs and there were these initiations that they had to go through. He says in the song, you want to be a man, right? There's this feeling that you want to be a man. But, but, but MJ is saying, wisdom is pleading with you. When the fight is about to happen, when the, when the thing is about to go down, just what? Just beat it. Just beat it. He says, he says little brother, this is life and death. He says, little brother, I understand no one wants to be defeated, right? I'm not going to sing it. This is life and death. And there's two voices. There's two voices speaking to the young man. The, the two voices. One is the, is the voice of wisdom, right? It's the voice of this song that says, just beat it. It's not worth it. It's not, entering into, it's not worth entering into this. Just beat it. And then there's the, the voice of pride and the voice of ego that's welling up within you that says, you have to show them that you're really not scared. You have to show them that you're really not scared. And then the voice of wisdom says, you're playing with your life. This ain't no truth or dare. They'll kick you. They'll beat you. They'll tell you it's fair. So beat it. But you want to be bad, right? I said I wasn't going to sing. Do you hear those two voices competing with one another? You and I have those same two voices competing with one another in our own heads, don't we? We all have these two voices inside our head. One of them calls us to beat it. One of us calls to repent, to turn, to walk away. And the other voice promises acceptance. And the other voice promises community. And the other voice promises pleasures. But the voice of wisdom and the voice of truth and uh, yes, the voice of Michael Jackson says, just beat it. Just beat it. Our passage today is about the choice that God gave a city called Nineveh. And the city called Nineveh was given a choice. Will you stay and continue in violence? Will you perpetuate the cycle of violence? Or will you just beat it? Let's turn to the Word of God. Jonah chapter 3 verses 6 through 10. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Jonah chapter 3 verses 6 through 10. I'll read it if you'll just listen to God's Word. Jonah chapter 3 and verse 6. Now the word, that is the preaching of Jonah, reached the king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. 
And he issued a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. He's calling for a fast. In verse 8, but let every man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let him call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that He had said He would do to them. He did not do it. This is God's Word for His people today. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Have a seat. The question is, what does true repentance look like? What does true repentance look like? look like. Now, repentance is a church word, right? That's a church word. So we're going to call, we're going to, we're going to say that the key word is the word turn. Okay? The key word is the word turn. And that word is used four times in this passage, and it represents these three movements, these three motions. Number one, turn away from sin and turn to Jesus, and third, turn together. Number one, turn away from sin, turn to Jesus, and turn together. The first motion is this, turn away from sin. Look at verse 6. It says, the word reached the king of Nineveh. Now, he wasn't really a king. He was probably more of a, a local uh, governor, okay? But he's called a king here. They use the Hebrew term, not the, not the term that the locals would have used. And he calls him the king because he had great power and great authority. And it says that the word, which was the word that Jonah had preached. Do you remember the word? The word was, turn from your sin or Nineveh will be destroyed in how many days? Y'all remember? Forty days. In 40 days, turn. And so the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, which was like uncomfortable, and he sat in ashes. How do we turn away from sin? The first thing is that the word needs to reach you. You see, the word reached the king of Nineveh, and the word needs to reach you and me. In order for the Word to reach us, we need to have ears to hear, right? We need to, to listen. We need to accept it. We need to receive it. God says the Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. And yes, that means that sometimes the Word cuts you. Sometimes the Word comes into your life and it's uncomfortable. Sometimes uh, the Word comes into your life and it calls you to, to get up off of your throne and to throw on some sackcloth and to mourn your sin. Uh, to see it for what it really is. The king of Nineveh heard the word of God. He heard it because the people were already talking about it. Back in verse 5, it says the people of Nineveh believed God and they called for a fast. See, this started with the people and it moved all the way up to the throne. 
It started with the people, and it funneled its way up to the throne, to the king, to the one who was in charge. And the king of Nineveh heard the voice of wisdom and truth. Just beat it. Just beat it. The voice that was saying your violence that you have directed toward other people is in fact going to destroy you. The violence and the ways that you have turned against the truth and against God and against love is going to turn back on you and destroy you. And God says, yet 40 days. And Nineveh will be destroyed. So he repented. He humbled himself. He turned down his powerful position and took up a position of sorrow. He took up a position of mourning, tears. The fear of God filled his life. And I'm left asking the question, how does this happen? How does this mighty king who is so powerful and has everything he needs, how does it reach him? What was it that caused him to turn away from sin? I will submit to you that it was the intensity of the message. The message says, yet 40 days and you will be destroyed. You see, what changed his heart was that he got a glimpse of the impact of his sin. Let me say that again, and then we're going to break it down. What changed his heart was that he saw the impact of his sin. He saw what it was going to do. He saw what it was going to result in. And isn't that what Michael Jackson does in that song? He says, it's a matter of life and death. You say you want to be a man. Do you want to live to be a man? Then you got to beat it. you got to turn from your sin. We're going we're to get real right now, all right? We're going to get real. We're going to talk about a couple of issues. And some of these issues are going to be hard to hear. Some of these issues are hard for me to hear. Y'all ready? What are the things that we need to turn from? I'm going to give you a couple of examples of things that we tend to, in our culture, we tend to sort of gloss over. Uh, Just like the violence of Nineveh, they tended to gloss over the violence that they were doing toward other people. They they tended not to pay attention to it because they didn't see the impact of it. Well, let me start with this one, pornography. A study said that 75% of men and 30% of women are in some way using pornography. Now that's self-reported. And so if we're honest and we know our culture as we do, and we know ourselves as we do, then we know that those figures are probably too low. That it's not just 75% of men and 30% of women. But pornography is rampant in our culture, right? And, and, and unfortunately, studies that have been done of the church says that it's the same in the church as it is outside of the church, to our shame. That's the same inside as it is outside. And my question is, why is pornography, the use of pornography in its many forms, why is it so difficult to turn from Why is it so difficult to turn from illicit images and videos? 
I would submit to you the reason it's difficult is because you don't feel the impact of it. You don't feel the impact of it. Most people think, hey, it's just between me and my phone, or it's just between me and my magazine, or it's just between me and my monitor. But what we need to realize is that this cultural evil has an incredible impact on real lives. On real lives. Here's a newsflash. The use of pornography is feeding the modern-day slave trade. The use of pornography is feeding the modern-day slave trade. You've heard of sex trafficking, where men and women are, are taken and forced into a form of prostitution. Why is this happening? It's happening because pornography is creating a demand that can only be satisfied with, the, with, the, with sex trafficking. There is a one-to-one correlation between these two things. And so what you think is a, is a harmless, uh, maybe innocent use of pornography between you and your computer is actually fueling the enslavement of women around the world. You and I need to feel the weight of that. We need to feel the truth of that. And you, if you don't believe me, look it up. Just make sure you careful how you search for it. <laughs> we need to feel the impact of pornography. And we need to let that impact inform our repentance. Because now if I if I have a choice in my private moment, and I realize this is leading to the enslavement of a 13-year-old girl in Thailand. If I connect those dots in my mind, God will give me the will to turn away from it. And I believe God will do that for you too. Because we need to feel the impact of our sin. That is what leads to that first motion of turning away from it. Let's talk about abortion. For years and years and years, abortion has been viewed as something that's a private issue for a woman. It's been viewed as a woman's choice because it's her body. And for years and years, that choice was, was produced out there. It's still being produced. That's, that message that it's you, it's your body, is still being produced out there today. It's not until we recognize the impact of abortion that we really have any reason to say, oh, maybe there's something more to it than, than I thought. Maybe there's something more to it than I thought. We have a local women's crisis center here in Orangeburg called DAZ. And did you know that DAZ, one of the biggest things that they do is they perform free ultrasounds for women in crisis and they provide help and resources and counseling for women in, who find themselves pregnant and alone. Uh, the issue is real, brothers and sisters. The struggle is real, but the solution that our world has been putting out there and saying it's harmless is a lie. 
Because when a mother looks at an ultrasound of her 12-week-old baby and sees a fully formed human, tiny, but all of the organs are there at 12 weeks, that mother can make an informed decision. She can see the impact that abortion has on the life of this child. Fully formed child at 12 weeks. I told you this was going to be uncomfortable. When we can see the impact of our actions or our inactions, it fuels repentance. It gives us the the knowledge to act and to turn from our evil ways. I got one more. Racism. I wasn't meddling before, now I'm meddling. Racism is a, is a personal and systemic violence against primor- primarily black bodies. Racism is a personal and systemic violence against black bodies. For most of American history, my people have held a view that black people were less intelligent, prone to violence, and yes, at the root of it was this belief that they were not fully human. This is the lie of racism. But put yourselves in the shoes of the person who's hearing this message from the culture, from the world that says, well, they're not really fully human. They're really prone to uh, violence. They're prone to promiscuity. And, and the lie goes on and on and on. And these lies are what make it easy to profile. These lies are what make it easy to prejudice. These lies are what make it easy to prosecute. That's why we need another P word. We need proximity. We need proximity to counter uh, profiling and prejudice and prosecution. Because brothers and sisters, when you get into relationship, when you actually open yourself up and get to know somebody, and you believe the truth about who they are as made in the image of God. We have a sign in the back of our church that says, Black Lives Matter. Why? Because God made all men in His image. In the image of God, He created them. That's why that's back there. But we need, it, we need this other P word, proximity. Because when we get into relationship, then we feel the impact of racism. Let me give you an example. A few years ago, I, I hosted a Bible study at a, at a local barbershop, and I called it Real Spit. If I was doing it today, I would rethink that. But in the Bible study, one of the young men uh, who was participating, his name was Sean, and Sean was sharing with us, we were sitting in a circle talking about how we were experiencing life and all these things, and uh, struggles in life, and Sean piped up and he said, you know what? i got to tell you guys this. And this is a mixed group of, of, of white guys and black guys together. He shared what it felt like to be standing on the street corner. To be standing on the street corner taking a break 
from work and to hear car doors locking as white women pulled up to the stoplight. And as he shared the pain that I gave him, the sense of breakdown and feeling less than a man just because somebody locked their doors, because they were profiling, they were prejudiced. He's taking a work, he's taking a break from work. And I'm telling you, hearing his pain, being in proximity to Sean and to others, has given me a deeper resolve to fight against the racism that's in my heart and to fight against the racism that's in my family, in my church, in, my, in our society. But what did it take? It took realizing the impact, right? It took, before I'm going to turn from my evil ways, i got to feel it. So it's true in pornography, it's true in abortion, it's true with racism that we have to feel the impact of our sin before our hearts will be changed and we'll turn from it. God says, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. And you've got to realize that that's, talk, that's you, that you have violence in your hands. You have an evil way that you are prone to follow, and so am I. And we all need to turn from it. God says, turn away from sin. Repentance involves more than feeling bad. It, it, it involves more than just a feeling of guilt. It involves a change in action. It means that you, you make a decision not to lock your door. <laughs> It means you make a decision to trust God with this unexpected child. To trust God. It means that you, that you trust God, that He's enough, and you don't need the, the fleeting pleasure of illicit sexuality. That you can trust God with that. And so you make a choice, and it changes your behavior. You turn from evil. So where are you going to go? Where are you going to go when you turn from evil? God says, turn to Jesus. Because it's not all bad news, brothers and sisters. He says, turn to Jesus. Verse 8, uh, the beginning of it, he says, Let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. You see, this is a call to not only turn from evil, but to turn to good the good one, Jesus, to turn to him. Call out mightily to God. All right? Call out mightily to God. It means pray. It means draw close to God. It means come to worship and experience the praise of God's people together. Call out mightily to God means finding refuge in him. It means turning from evil, yes, but running to Jesus. Running into his arms receiving God's love for you, which is unconditional. It's offered to be received by faith alone, not because you're so good, not, not even because you turned, but because God just, he just offers it freely to you. Find refuge in him. Our hearts need to fixate on a greater glory than what the world offers. 
They need to fixate on a greater glory than whatever sin was offering you, whatever it was, and think about it. What was sin offering you? Uh, something, right? Something good, quote, unquote, right? It's just like the Michael Jackson song, you want to be a man. That's good, right? But this is not the way. This is not the way. God has something different for you to be a man, to be a woman, to be a child of God. Turning to Jesus can be difficult. And I think the reason it's so difficult is because we think he's harsh. When we imagine God, imagine God looking over your life right now, and if he's just looking over your life, how does he feel about you? I bet half of you would say, he's probably disappointed in me. That God's disappointed in me. And you know what's created that? It's the way we've talked about God. There's something that we call church hurt. Right, Joel? Church hurt. Some of us grew up in religious places that had no tolerance for sinners. No tolerance for messy people. And so you got pregnant out of wedlock. And the church wanted nothing to do with you. And so you got caught in pornography. And and the church wants nothing to do with you. You had an abortion. And the church wants nothing to do with you. See, we've created a culture, that a church culture, that paints a picture of Jesus that he doesn't care, that he's judgmental, all right? And, and, and so no wonder we don't turn to him because we expect to get slapped in the face. But brothers and sisters, God is not like that. He's not actually like that. But it's natural for us to ask the question, look, The king of Nineveh does the same thing. Verse 9, look at it. He says, who knows? (laughs) He doesn't know. He says, who knows? God may turn and relent. God may turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. I love this attitude. Who knows? I mean, he's like, what do I have to lose? (laughs) I don't know this God. I don't know if he's merciful. Maybe he is. I'm going to turn to him. You see, the gods of this world and the gods of religion are not merciful. The gods of this world and the gods of religion are not merciful. Just look at social media backlash whenever somebody breaks the cultural codes. Whenever somebody does something uh, that's not politically correct, there's an outpouring of judgment. Right? There's no mercy in social media. Can I get an Amen. There is no mercy in social media. And so it's natural for us to question, who knows? But the good news is that God is not like cancel culture. And the fact is, we do know. We do know who He is. We do know who He is. How? Because He came in the flesh. And so we know who He is. We know who God is. God came in the flesh in the person of Jesus Christ, and He is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And here's the description of the invisible God in Exodus chapter 34. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, 
A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. See, we have to turn to Him. We have to turn to Him, and when we do, He's full of compassion, He's full of mercy, He's full of grace. So here's the thing. You don't have to wonder, is God going to kick me to the curb? You don't have to wonder. We know. He came in the person of Jesus. Is He going to throw a stone at you? What did Jesus say? No. Neither will I judge you, Jesus said. Now go and sin no more. He gives us mercy and grace, and therefore He gives us power to actually turn from sin and turn to Him. You don't have to wonder. God is merciful to all who come to Him in repentance. Uh, Whatever your issue is, if it's pornography, okay, if it's sexual sin, God has mercy for you. That does not have to define your life. Did you have an abortion? That does not have to define your life. God has mercy and compassion and forgiveness. It doesn't have to define you. Have you been racist? God has mercy for you and compassion and grace for you. You just have to turn to Jesus and receive it. Receive it by faith. There's one more movement. There's one more movement that God has for us, and it's this. Turn away from sin. Turn to Jesus. And turn together. Look at this passage. This is something that would be easy to overlook. Verse 10, when God saw what they did, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Do you see the plural in this passage? Notice that it was, the, it was the singular actions of individuals have now become recognized by God as the plural actions of a people. They turned from their evil way. They turned from their evil way. They turned. And God invites us to recognize the impact of our sin. Not just mine and yours and yours, but ours. That we have a collective identity. And, and primarily that is of the body of Christ. We have other collective identities, don't we? A nation. Can the nation collectively turn from evil? You bet they can. We have examples of this throughout history. Reforms, right? The extension of civil rights to people who deserve them. And so there's all kinds of ways that a nation can, can turn from evil. Limiting unjust abortion can be done by the nation. What about the church? Uh, I mean, the church has, like, we've already talked about that, right? Church hurt. Okay, well, let's turn from that. Let's turn from being a place where people don't feel 
uh, where people feel judged, and let's turn to Jesus together and be a place that welcomes people who, are, um, who we don't think have it together. Right? We need, to, we need to be the kind of place that welcomes people in their mess. Uh, not by withholding the truth from them, but by welcoming them in true community and love. What about your family? What about how you operate as a family unit? That's a, that's a we. How do you make decisions together about how you spend your money, about how you spend your time, about how you choose to interact with your neighbors, how you prioritize worship and God's people? These are family decisions, not just individual, but they impact the family. Look, the king of Nineveh issued a proclamation. He recognized this is more than just my evil. This is our evil. And so he issued a proclamation and said, I'm publishing this thing. Everybody's got to turn, right? And he calls everyone to turn. It it becomes a, a move for systemic change. Not just individual change, but systemic change. Because sin has both an individual and a common aspect to it. It's throughout the Bible, this idea of I and we. The king put his power and his position behind national repentance. And so we can, do, we can seek for that in our nation and in our churches and our communities and in our families. We can seek for corporate and national repentance. The good news is, brothers and sisters, that it's not too late. None of us still had time. And they turned from their sin. They turned to Jesus. They called out to God. And they turned together. It's not too late for you. It's not too late for you. There's still time to beat it. There's still time to turn. And look, we can do this together. And we sh- I hope you feel from what I'm saying today that this is, this is not your problem. This is our problem. That we need to turn together. We need to repent of our evil ways together. So let the kindness of God sink in. And we're just going to end. I'm going to read verse 10 again. When God saw what they did, how they turned. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. And God has the same heart for you today. If you will turn from your evil way and see that the disaster will not fall on you because it fell on Jesus. The disaster fell on Jesus for you. And so God is not letting you off the hook. He's accepting God's, His justice on the cross for you. He's applying it to you. And so you can live in that freedom to turn from sin, to turn to Jesus, and to turn together. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word today. I thank you for the truth. I thank you for the way that you have revealed the impact of some of our sin. And I pray that you will help us to see the impact of all of our sin. Even the little tiny things that we don't think are that big of a deal that we would feel the impact of them so we would turn from them. 
And Jesus, I thank you that you are merciful and gracious and compassionate. And when we turn to you, you welcome us. You receive us. You give us love and kindness. Oh, that's what we need. Oh, that's what Orangeburg needs. Oh, that's what our neighbors need. So God, will you, uh, will you make that reality, will you cultivate that reality right here in this church so that as people come, that they would not feel hurt by this false image of who you are, but they would feel welcome and loved. And Lord, let it start right now. Let it start right now, right here. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.